Father, the, thank you. Thank you is, is just so small of a little phrase, but we just, we're so thankful today as we come together and um, we wrap up this amazing story. And there's been so many different emotions and feelings. And um, I just, I love that so much of it is, is easy for us to understand because it's just our lives. You give us this in your word over and over, real people with real stories, real histories and real struggles, but real victory, real redemption. So thank you for that. And so I pray today that we each see you um, in, this, in this story and that we in turn can see how you are speaking into our lives, that you are active, that you're involved, that you're responsive. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for this book. And it's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Friends, you did it. I mean, that's an impressive feat. You know, you hit four chapters in like 10 lessons. That ain't no joke. Like we, we pulled this thing apart, didn't we? We could have done it for like another year. There's so much in this one little story, right? Um, if you remember, if you were here the first week, first lesson, do you remember how we started this whole thing? We talked about stories, you know? We talked about how this story in particular starts out with a once upon a, that was bad, one more time. Once upon a, right, okay, we've all done stories. We know what this means. And, and it, it's going to end with a, and they lived happily. Right. And we're in the happily ever after, aren't we? It's so fun to be in chapter four with our characters. Well, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna throw something at you that's a little bit different, okay? We think about the happily ever after and I wanna challenge your thinking on this because I, I said this a few weeks ago, it's hard sometimes to feel like um, we are in the chapter four. And I know many of you came up to me after that class and said, I'm in chapter one and I don't see four coming. You know, I know a lot of us are there. A lot of us will step into those places and, and God knows too and he sees you, I assure you. Um, but as I was going through this and I was kind of like, oh, how do we wrap this whole thing up? You know, chapter one, we had funerals and famines. Chapter two, you know, we had um, picking up scraps and scheming to survive. Chapter three, we had turning points, right? And then like the hope on the horizon, remember? We were like crossing our fingers, things were gonna work out. And then chapter four, we had food and family restored. We had um, um, this, this beautiful genealogy of the king that was coming, you know? Well, as I was thinking through it, I'm like, how do we wrap it up? We don't wanna keep saying the same thing over and over. I came across this quote that was about this story and it struck me. And I thought, I don't think we can leave without, without addressing a couple of things before we, we wrap up and go enjoy some food and hang out and share. Here's the quote. It's a Bible scholar named Phyllis Tribble said this about this story. She called this a sad story. And you remember, there's some sad parts, right? But here's what she said about sad stories. She said, sad stories do not have happy endings, but sad stories can yield new beginnings. Sad stories do not have happy endings, but sad stories can yield new beginnings. I think that's our happy ending. It's, it's not just happy ending, it's new beginning. And so before we close the book and we take off, I thought there was a couple of things I just wanted us to all make sure and take with us from this outsider story, this, this legacy of this new beginning that we're seeing develop in the book of Ruth. And so a couple of things I just thought we should note, and they're gonna be quick, there's three of them. Three things I think we need to walk away with um, from the book of Ruth. 
The first is this, that new beginnings don't always equal a clean slate. New beginnings don't always equal a clean slate. What do I mean by that? I feel like we're doing this story a disservice if we just pretend like chapter one didn't happen, right? I mean, I mean, there, there was loss. We have widows. And I would say this, the weight of grief, if you've been there, you know, it can ambush you, right? You think you're doing good. You think things are going okay and it overwhelms you. Maybe, maybe for you, it's not grief. Maybe your chapter one is betrayal or loneliness or, or um, sickness or mourning or instability. It, it, it can be a million things, but I think if we leave this story, we're doing it a disservice if we don't remember that there are parts of that story that come back. Just because we're in chapter four doesn't mean chapter one didn't happen, Amen. I'm sure Naomi and Ruth lived a life with varying degrees of sorrow, if they remembered. You know, they had this beautiful joy that we saw end, you know, with this baby and, and this potential and this hope and this family. But, you know, they had to remember sometimes. I, um, I thought about this way. Whenever I think about grief or struggle or pain or those places that we have in our chapter one, I always likened it, for me personally, it felt like this. It felt like, um, like there was like a tree branch, you know, like sticking out of my midsection, just a tree branch. I'm just walking around with it. And every now and then it would catch on something. It was always there, you know, but sometimes it was okay and I could maneuver around it, but sometimes it just would catch. And so I feel like if we don't say, you know, sometimes we have these places that don't wipe away the chapter one, sometimes chapter one comes back, that we're doing a disservice to the story. We're not representing it well, you know, but... Redemption and abundance, it still comes even when, even if, even though, right? Even when you get caught sometimes on going back to chapter one, that, that it still comes, but it doesn't always mean a clean slate. And so that's the first thing I thought we need to walk away from this story remembering. And the second thing I think we need to think about is, is um, that God is the one who writes and redeems our stories, God is the one who writes and redeems our stories. We saw it in this awesome love story, didn't we? We saw it in, in the life of Ruth. We saw it in the life of Naomi. Let me just lay out like some overview, 30,000 foot view for you just a second. I want you to think about it, okay? I know you like know everything about Ruth and you know everything about Naomi, but let's just, let's look at it this way for a second. Let's look at how God wrote the story and then redeemed it, okay? Ruth. So at the beginning of the story, she's a widow, she's childless, she's an immigrant, an outsider, and she has a pagan background, right? This is what we know. But we also know this, that she, she was rootless. You know what I mean by that, rootless? I mean like um, here she arrives in Bethlehem and we know this because when, when Boaz first met her, you remember what he said? He said this, he said, whose young woman is that? You know why he said that? He said that because at the time, um, during, during this period of time, everything was so patriarchal. It was like, you were identified as the daughter of so-and-so. And so when he asked that question, he's like, whose daughter is she? And that's how he asked it. It's interesting. He was kind of trying to see where she fit in the social ladder, you know? And then chapter two, verse six, the thing we talked about that we saw over and over when she was identified, it was, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She was rootless. 
So she arrives at this place and then she goes into scavenging to survive, right? That's Ruth. But I love how God redeems her story. You see, Ruth now, the Ruth that we will walk away from in the story remembering is a Ruth that's more than just cultural yardsticks, you know? It's, this is who she is now. She was devoted to Naomi, but not just Naomi, she was devoted to God. She was devoted to the God of Israel. You see, remember Ruth's words in chapter one. You're gonna remember them because they're some of the best ones, I think, in the whole Bible. When Ruth says this, chapter 16, I mean, excuse me, verse 16, she says, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you for where you go, I will go. Remember these words? And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will be my people and your God, my God, where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Do you remember that? Her devotion, you know, she's devoted to Naomi and to God. That's who we know Ruth now. You know what else we know about Ruth now at this side of the story? We know that she sacrificed, didn't she? She took huge risk. She's compared to Tamar, you know, that questionable, weird story that I made you read that you're gonna probably go read at bedtime just to, you know, just for fun. That she sacrificed and she took big risk because she knew she had to. So she was devoted, she sacrificed. The other thing we know about her is she was a bold, brave nation builder. She was a nation builder. Think about it. When we talked about the genealogy stuff, remember? Do you remember who who the women were comparing her to? Who was talked about in the genealogies? It was Rachel and Leah, the matriarchs of the Israelite people, and they compared Ruth to her, Ruth to them. So she was a bold and brave nation builder. You know what else she was? She reflected God's hesed. Do you remember God's hesed love? Over and over, we see this. She laid, I want you to think about this. This this kind of blew my mind. And I I didn't even ask a question about it because it didn't even hit me until like last week. You know what I thought about? At the very end, do you remember the very last part where we see Naomi and she's got that baby in her lap, right? She's doing that crazy grandma stuff, remember? You know what I thought about? I thought about this. To get that baby in her lap, you know who had to put that baby in her lap? The mama, right? Right? I mean, Ruth had the baby and laid the baby in Naomi's lap. Don't miss that. I I thought to myself, man, you wanna talk about this this beautiful, um, steadfast love and kindness? That's what Ruth embodied that, didn't she? When she set this baby in Naomi's lap, Naomi left empty and she came back full, right? The other thing I love about um, our Ruth, and we didn't talk about this, you might've talked about it in your small group, but I love that um, in, in the end, in chapter four, you remember those, those women that were naming the baby and doing all that stuff? Well, remember what they compared Ruth to? Do you remember this? They said she's better than, do you know? Seven sons, weird stuff. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Where did that come from? So I went and looked it up, but I thought we need to talk about this because this is who Ruth is. This is one of the last descriptions we get of Ruth that she is better than seven sons. Listen to this description I found in one of my commentaries and, and wrap your mind around this for just a minute. The older women counted on their sons in this day to care for them, okay? To protect them from exploitation, from the harsh elements of society, to be their voice and to stand up for their rights and to preserve their father's name and estate by bringing next generations of male descendants into the world. Ruth did all of those things for Naomi at great cost. 
in a culture that tied her hands behind her back, denied her a voice, refused her access to the legal system and regarded her as basically useless. It was an uphill battle for Ruth, but she did it anyway. Not even seven sons would have done as much. How about that? I think about Naomi, you know, think about this, this story that God wrote for her and how we see the redemption that came for her life, the abundance that came in chapter four. You know, she started out um, this broken, alone, grieving, lost widow, right? And I think about this too. I think, you know, um, it's not the story that Naomi would have written for herself. It's not the story that Ruth would have written for herself. You see, Naomi, remember this, just go back in time for a minute. You're gonna remember this. Ruth 1, verse 20 goes like this. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Everything is bad and God did it. That was Naomi, right? What if the story, what if the book ended right there? It didn't. But what if it did? So, so that's what we knew about our Naomi. Then in chapters two and three, we got Naomi doing this, right? planning and scheming and slightly scandalous, amen? That was a little weird. Some of it was strange, her plan. Um, But we see her making all these plans. She's trying to get ahead of God. You know, I've got this plan. I'm gonna make this happen. But then the last time we hear from Naomi, it's that time when that baby, that grandbaby is in her lap. What was she thinking? We don't know. We don't hear her words. But there was this baby, you know? So I think about these two women. God wrote their stories. He redeemed their stories. They went from rootless to nation builder, broken to better than seven sons, empty to full, bitter to pleasant. God did that. You know, I think so often we get caught up in the, um, how can a good God let chapter one happen to good people, don't we? If we're gonna say the same thing to God in chapter one, we sure better say the same thing to God in chapter four, amen? If a good God can let that happen, well, a good God can be the cause of chapter four. And I love that. I love that God writes and redeems even when we don't see it coming. Well, the third thing, the last thing I would say that I think we need to walk away with and take with us from this story is this. That our life circumstances are not reliable indicators of God's Hesed love. Hear that again. That our personal life circumstances are not reliable indicators of God's Hesed, of how much He loves you. We do that, I think. I do that. I, I'm calling myself out here. You know, I see things in, in the chapter one parts um, in the valleys, you know of life and, and, I, and I get mad and I think that that is, that is how God loves. Well, I would say this, that those, those things are, are temporary and they're not indicators of how much God loves you. Here's what I thought about when I thought about this story. I thought about how we have this um, Ruth, you know, she comes in, she has this new faith now. She has this new home, this new, new mother, essentially, you know, cause her mother and father are back in Moab. She's this new family, this new hope, this new husband. But you know what, um, I've thought about the entire time we've done this study. I've thought about a friend who is not a friend yet, but is a friend of a friend who is doing this study far away. And she's gone through some really difficult circumstances, like some loss that you can't imagine, just one after the other, boom, boom, boom. And yet here she is studying God's word, looking at the book of Ruth. And you know why? 
because she said, I wanna look at the book of Ruth because I'm constantly reminded of the fact that Boaz is the second husband. That Boaz is the one that came, that God brought, you know. That there's a new husband that came. And you know what, sometimes in our stories, maybe we don't get a Boaz, I don't know. But you know what we do get is we do get God's hesed his steadfast love, and it never, ever is removed no matter what our circumstances are. He never, ever changes. He never, ever wavers. His purposes are never, ever compromised. He is the same always, even when our lives are not. I don't think we should walk out of here thinking that, that that's untrue about God. Um, I think about Hebrews 13.8. You know, Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is fully God. And God fully represents that statement. Yesterday, today, forever, never changing. We are under construction, amen? Constantly changing, constantly moving. I found um, one of my favorite things that I've read recently was Ruth Graham, um, the, the beloved faithful wife of Billy Graham. You know, when she passed away, she had something very interesting put on her headstone, you know, and you can go see it still today. You know what it says? You know what her headstone says? It says, end of construction, thanks for your patience. Right. I think about this and I think it's construction today, freedom tomorrow, Amen. And so when, when you are in the darkest places of construction, when you are in the deepest valleys, do not forget that God is always the same and his steadfast love never, ever, ever wavers. Well, we're gonna wrap up. Remember, remember that first week we did three, we said there's three central themes we're gonna see, three things, remember I threw at you? Let's see if we saw them. The three things we said we were gonna see in this, in this love story were first, that human kindness is a reflection of God's kindness, of his steadfast love. Did we see that? We just talked about it, right? The second thing that we were gonna see was that the Lord is sovereign and he cares for all people at all times. I think we saw that, right? even in the darkest places, even in the hopeless places, even when there's no background of faith, even when you're, you're in some field chasing around little scraps, you know, even then. And the third thing that we were looking for was that the Lord's redemptive plan is global and all-inclusive. Regardless of your backstory, regardless of your circumstances, your construction zone, your valley, whatever you wanna call it, the branch sticking out, regardless of all those things, of cultural situations, all the things that it's for you, it's for me, it's for everyone we encounter. And so how are we gonna walk out of here with our own new beginnings? I left you last week in, in lesson nine, I believe, with a question. The question was this, how would you like your legacy to impact the world? And so I ask you that again. How will your legacy, your faith legacy, because I tell you what, Ruth's legacy has impacted my life. Has it impacted yours? Yeah. So let's take it. Let's take it with us. Let's show the world God's kindness, his sovereignty, his redemption through our legacies, through our lives. Let's let him write a story with our lives that can impact others, okay? I'm gonna pray for us, okay? Father, thank you for this time. We thank you for these four chapters, every single word. We thank you for every name. We thank you for every word spoken. We thank you for every action, every weird sandal situation, every scandalous threshing floors thing, every bit of it. Because 
in between those lines, you are breathing life into every bit of this story and you want us to know and love and understand you better because of it. And I think we did. So we thank you for that. Father, take this story and and help us in our new beginnings to run with it. Remind us of those places where you have written our stories, but you also wanna bring redemption. You wanna bring like this new life, this new beginning. So show us the places that we need to be seeing you. And Father, above all, we thank you for this place. We thank you for your word that you left with us to teach us about who you are and more than anything about your son who came to live and die for us. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.